If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. If you like your private health insurance plan, you can keep your plan, period. If you are among the hundreds of millions of Americans who already have health insurance through your job, or Medicare, or Medicaid, or the VA, nothing in this plan will require you or your employer to change the coverage of the doctor you have. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Find out what is in it. This is America's Healthcare Challenge on News Talk 1290, News Talk 1290KOIL.com, and the News Talk 1290 mobile app. America's Healthcare Challenge is produced and sponsored by E.D. Bellis. Now, here's your host, Sean McGuire. Welcome to another episode of America's Healthcare Challenge. Sean McGuire here. So excited to have you here. We've got an unbelievable show lined up for you today, all about uh, the uh, latest in the healthcare industry, the pharmaceutical industry, the insurance industry. That is the focus of this program. And we've got a little bit of each one of those lined up for you today. We're going to be reporting on the breaking news that happened here recently. You'll have to find out what that is at the bottom of the hour, but it's going to affect tens of thousands of folks in the region uh, as uh, one of the other larger insurers announced that they are pulling out of the marketplace. Find out which one that is and what you can do to prepare yourself at the bottom of the hour. But I want to first take the moment to introduce my guest co-host, Trent Majors, back on the program. Trent, we've been a couple months since we had you here, but um, we've been getting a lot of uh, response to uh, the things that we put together on the last show, and it was, uh, it was a fantastic conversation, and it's going to be another one today. Great to have you back here, Trent, sharing your expertise. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Sean. How are you? I no, appreciate it. Thank you. I'm not doing too bad. I am excited about uh, what we're going to be taking a deep look at with which is something that has been all over the news, the EpiPen controversy, Trent. Have you heard a little bit about that? I mean, how could you not have heard a little bit about that? I think that? everyone's heard a little bit about the EpiPen and knows a lot more about it today than they did they did a month ago. Yes, exactly, and we're going to be taking a look at why a little bit deeper beyond uh, the, the issue of the headlines, as in why has that price gone up? And take a look at the the systematic problems. Yeah, it's it's so, it's so confusing to really understand, and all you hear is sound bites. You know, a, right. a, a politician says this, and a CEO says that, and, and and you really need to dig a little deeper to find out why these things are happening, and and maybe why they're actually getting uncovered. Because the price of the EpiPen has been going up for a long time. It didn't just happen uh, today. Right, right, and um, it's going to potentially continue to, to go this direction for other drugs that, that a lot of people are, are desperately in need of. And so we're going to be introducing our next, uh, our, our other guest hosts this week. Our friends from Vivio Health, the SPAC by Popular Demand CEO, Promote John, as well as their Chief Experience Officer, TJ Tedesco. Gentlemen, good morning. Welcome to the show. Hope you are all doing well. How are things going in your neck of the woods? Things are well. Thank you very much. Great, great, great to have you both here. I want to take a take a, a look at the uh, article that you remote wrote promote, which would have been on August 29th on LinkedIn. Great piece, EpiPen pricing. It's the system, stupid. Um, I thought it was just unbelievable in some of the things that you uncovered. You can check out our Twitter page at America's Canary if you want to see a link to that article. But promote. Um, can you uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, who the real culprit is in, in all of this? Uh, we're going to play a video in a little bit uh, and ask you to react uh, to uh, the CEO of, of this organization uh, being in front of Congress. But I'd like to, uh, to, to hand it off to you first to uh, identify the, the uh, 
true problem? Who who should our listeners be blaming? You know, it's, it's a really good question, and I think that often it's really easy for us to look at something like my land, look at something like the EpiPen, and you know, we had the same sort of situation with Valiant Pharmaceuticals a, a few months ago, and also with Turing Phar- Pharmaceuticals and with the uh, the antibiotic Daraprim and the huge price increase. And Martin Shkreli, of course, made the news on on all the headlines, and we were talking about that for a while. But I think the underlying question that we're not asking is, why are we hearing these stories over and over again? Because this isn't the first time, this isn't the second time, this isn't the third time, actually. This story has been around for a long time. And, I, I, and that's the point that we're addressing, which is the, this isn't an accident. This isn't a random sort of occurrence, right, that these stories are occurring. In, in the rest of our economy, we don't have to worry about these price gouging types of uh, stories because price gougers go out of business, right? And in the rest of our economy, if you're going to be the gas station that wants to charge 10 times more, that's fine. Nobody buys your gas. And as a result, you go out of business. But in the drug industry, right, we see this over and over again, where we're like, hey, what happened to competitive products? Where are they? Are there competitors to any of these products? You know, and this is a really interesting case, because unlike the Shkreli and Turing pharmaceutical cases for Daraprim, um, there actually is a competitor, or there are multiple competitors to the EpiPen. And part of the reason why, in this case, where we have competitive products that no one's even aware of the fact, most doctors aren't even aware of the fact that there's a competitive product. And I think that's a really interesting question that we should be asking. Well, when there are multiple competitors in this industry that are significantly cheaper than the EpiPen, why is it that none of us know the fact that they exist? And I think that's probably an interesting question. And that leads to the, you know, issue of, well, the reason for that is that we all rely on what are called pharmacy benefit managers. These are sort of like, in some ways, insurance companies that we all contract with when we go out and buy an insurance plan for health insurance, or we're an employer and we go out and contract for drug purchasing. And in all these cases, we have these intermediaries who think of them as travel agents for us. And unfortunately, just like the travel agents of the past, we have the same problem, which is unless the travel agent wants to tell us about the lower cost option, well, nobody knows about it, whether you're the consumer, because they dictate what's going to be paid for these things and what's not going to be paid. So as a result, they're not telling us. And then if you step back and ask the question, well, why aren't they telling us? Why, why wouldn't they want us to get the cheapest price? Well, that goes back to a fundamental question about how this industry works. And the way the industry works is that these drug manufacturers have agreements with these intermediaries, pharmacy benefits man- uh, managers, and basically, you as a consumer walk in, you pay $600 for that EpiPen, and the manufacturer in this case, Mylan, then writes a check back to the intermediary for $300. And that was what Heather Brash, the CEO of Mylan, was calling, you know, was talking about saying, hey, it's not us, it's really not us, it's the intermediaries, right? Now think about the problem with the scenario. Now, the intermediary has an economic incentive for higher prices because then they can negotiate stronger rebates back. And this can also be used as a mechanism because you lock out all competition because, like in the EpiPen case, there's another epinephrine auto-injector from a company called Linear Therapeutics. It's about $140 versus the $600 for the, uh, you know, for the Mylan product, the EpiPen. But there's no reason to send you to buy the $150 product when – the intermediary is getting a check back for $300 every time somebody makes a purchase. And by the way, this has nothing to do with the EpiPen. Imagine that every blockbuster drug out there, that we spend 5 or $6 billion a year on a drug like Nexium or Crestor, 
the same economic supply, and the major drug manufacturers have all increased prices by four or five x over the last ten years on these blockbuster drugs. That's that's amazing, uh, TJ. As uh, as kind of the customer experience leader at, uh, at at Vivio, what what are you doing from a customer experience standpoint? Because what Promote is just talking about is is the the complexity, even in the prices. Even if someone told you, you know, that's what's happening, it's still very complex. So so, what are you guys doing to kind of help your clients? Um, understand that and reduce those costs. Yes, Promote is is talking about the market dynamics. Um, when we get down to brass tax and what we do for the self insured employer, the the um, the one party that that gets uh, that holds the feedback, if you will. Uh, so we do two things for the self insured employer. One, we lower their current spend on specialty drugs, and two, we improve the drug acquisition experience for their employees. At the most fundamental level, Vivio Health is a data company. We use existing data to reduce a company's specialty drug spend today, and we aggregate current and future data and apply evidence-based medicine principles to improve the overall experience of individual plan members. So what is it like for an employer to work with Vivio Health? Well, working with us is really easy. Since we are a data-driven company, it makes sense that our customer journey starts with data analysis to determine if there's an economic basis for a business relationship in the first place between our companies. We ask prospective customers to provide us with their current claims data, and we determine the gap between what they're currently paying and what they could be paying if we were to manage the specialty drug process for them. Typically, the savings can range, you know, amazingly between 10 and 30 percent with a normal savings expectation in the 15 to 20 percent range. And this means for a mid-sized company, with 10,000 employees, these savings could be somewhere between $1.5 and $2 million. So this is our main program, and we call it Vivio Simple Direct. How we achieve these savings isn't easy, but our customers are shielded from all the back-end complexity. So all they have to do is make two choices. One, choose, choose which program they want, brown, silver, silver or gold, uh, with bronze prioritizing open access to drugs and gold prioritizing maximum savings. The second choice really only matters if our prospective customer happens to be locked into a long-term agreement where the plan changes required for Simple Direct can't be implemented right away. In this case, um, the company needs to choose whether or not to go with a, a light program, which we call Vivio Simple Savings. There is a nice benefit to Simple Savings um, because there is no complexity at all, and we can start right away. Savings are, aren't as much, but the program is really, really simple. So does that answer your question, Sean? Yes, yes. Great uh, great to know hey, that. Sean, uh, yes, sir. Sean, if I could add one more point, which is that at the crux of what we're doing, our program to do really get rid of the travel agents in between. Right. And you can imagine that what we're really doing is we're, we're connecting the, 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 you know, connecting that supply directly to the people who are buying it, minus these rebates and complex, all of that complexity is gone. Well, there's an awful lot of money in the rebate program, for example, so it would make sense why these pharmacy benefit managers would be so resistant uh, to, to this, this thing, but it's, it's ultimately going to be better for the, for the consumer, as I see it. Absolutely. Yes. So, yes. So let's... Um, Let's help the listeners understand a little bit more um, about of this this problem because I think the the EpiPen thing is is just a, a microcosm of what's going on. Uh, you mentioned specialty drugs and how that's really in your your guys's wheelhouse as you're you're uh, you're f focusing on on how to really solve the fundamental problem. 
what we've seen in the marketplace right now, especially coming into 2017, is massive rate increases in the fully insured marketplace. Uh, probably going to see more and more employers going to self-insured if they have not done so, which is going to introduce them to this specialty drug problem, something that is really, really uh, costly for, for many employers. And as a result, it's uh, difficult for their employees because they're they're asked to, to spend a little bit more. Um, could you give uh, the listeners a little bit of a, uh, of a quick uh, understanding of this specialty drug issue and uh, the problems that have arisen over the last uh, couple of years? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think, uh, you know, about four or five years ago, most of us didn't know uh, what these specialty drugs were. We didn't know what they were for. And if you were to talk to people, we probably didn't even know, uh, we couldn't even tell you the brand name, right, of a specialty drug. And at that point in time, we were spending about 10% of our drug spend on specialty drugs. And the reason we didn't know is that most of the time, specialty drugs were being used for things like, you know, you're a hemophiliac and uh, you bleed and you need a blood clotting factor or something like that, which was extremely rare. Uh, you know, rare number, a very, very, very small number of people in the population who have those types of diseases. Over the last few years, a lot of the categories that used to be things that, you know, for example, my joints ache, I'm going to be on Celebrex or some other anti-inflammatory type drug. Those kinds of drugs were, you know, back five to ten years ago, they were all, they weren't specialty drugs. They were just, you know, somewhat more expensive, you know, brand drugs, but that's all they were. Over the last five years, we've seen a huge influx of now new drugs that are extremely high-cost therapies. You know, starting with, for example, the Hep C drug that came out, and it was about $100,000 for therapy about two and a half, three years ago. And in the interim, we've also seen a, a strong influx of these drugs for things like rheumatoid arthritis, restless leg syndrome, uh, you know, MS, and a whole bunch of drugs that traditionally weren't specialty drugs that were significantly lower priced. Now, all of the therapies associated with these have become specialty, quote-unquote, therapies. Their price points have gone up by at least 10 to, 10 to 20x what they used to be over for these same sorts of conditions. And now by calling these things specialty, not only have the prices drastically gone up, they cover a lot of the common things that weren't so rare anymore. So now we're moving away from what used to be something like a hemophiliac, which is a very, very rare case, to something like RA, which we're not even quite sure what RA is let alone the fact that it affects a large number of people where we've traditionally used other types of drugs at a lower cost to treat these uh, you know, things like RA. And so what's ended up happening as a result of that is what used to be 10% and a very small percentage of the population has now grown to last year it hit 37% of drug spend. And the estimate is it's going to be 50% of drug spend in, in the next couple of years. And here's the, here's the kicker. These drugs are only used by about 1% of the population in, in, a, in a company, for example. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I would like to ask if you, if you have any, had any exposure as you're looking into these issues in depth. Uh, one of the largest insurer in our neck of the woods announced yesterday that they're pulling out of our exchange in this state. And uh, their reason is because they're going to lose about $240 million this last year. We're a smaller state. Um, but I would have to imagine that some of the folks that went in there, because 
what happened is uh, it became a death spiral. Everybody that went in there was sick. Do you know what percentage of those those folks might be on a specialty drug? I mean, is that something that would really have have hurt hurt that insurance company? Yeah, you know, it's a really good point. I don't know what the exact numbers are, but there's an adverse selection problem with right. the public exchanges. And that is the, if you think about the public exchanges, who are typically the people who, who are getting coverage on the public exchanges? Sick One, people. You know, folks who, exactly, sicker people than the average, because they've been the folks who've typically been, you know, denied coverage, or they've been also, here's another scenario. You're a self-insured employer, and you've got a couple of these people on very expensive specialty medications. You realize at that point, self-funding actually doesn't make sense anymore, and you're better off moving all of your people into the, into the public exchanges and paying for that. Because as a result, what you're doing is you're passing on the cost to somebody else. And as a result, you know what's happening is that I don't think I don't think we realize that, that healthcare is a zero-sum game, right? There is no free lunch in the universe. If we're going to say that you know we you know if I don't want to pay for it, then the person next to me has to pay for it, right? And as the, as the cost of these things skyrocket, we have no control over how much these things cost today. As a result, you know, a therapy that cost $5,000 a year to treat and, you know, five years ago is now $50,000 a year to treat exactly the same thing. And someone's got to pay for this. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening is that this adverse selection drives a lot of these folks to be in the private exchanges. I'm sorry, the public exchanges. And these public exchanges all across the country are going out of business. Every, I mean, the reason they're pulling out, right? And these are not small carriers. These are the largest <laughs> carriers in the U.S., like United Health, are pulling out of most of the states that they're in. Because it's completely, they're, they're losing, everyone is losing money because they're having to pay more than they're allowed to collect. And as a result, you know, it's a zero-sum game. Someone's got to pay for it, which is they're choosing to say, we're not going to play this game anymore of losing money. So more people do have coverage today, do have health insurance than had it five years ago. However, I'm curious is if, if anyone has any, any information on are our results better? Are, are, are people improving from, from a health standpoint? Because you would hope that that would come along with it, right? You know, that's a really good question. I, I don't know. I, mean, I personally have not seen any public studies talking about the impact on public health. I can tell you one thing, though. Over the last two years since the Affordable Care Act uh, you know, came up and the coverage was required, hospitals in America have had record profitability. And so if, you know, one thing we know for sure is we don't know if people are getting better, but we do know that the hospital systems and healthcare in America is definitely improving and that they're making a lot more money. Yeah, I, th- I think it'll probably be a, a little bit, a uh, few more years before we'll, we'll really know. TJ, did you have something to add there? Yeah, the what, what you're also getting at is is uh, one of the the drivers of of um, of the uh, of what's going on here, and that driver is the lack of data. So, so when when um, when a, a a, um, a change happens in the marketplace, you know, it'd be really nice to know what the actual effect is in terms of efficacy and, and answering the question, are people truly getting better? From a Vivio Health standpoint, we are focusing in on the capture of data. So what does, what does, um, what does, uh, what are the drivers of, of better outcomes? And that is a, a main key point of, of what we're trying to do. Right. That's fantastic. I actually want to get into that a little bit more in depth. Um, next segment, because I think uh, 
perhaps the uh, the answer might answer uh, might might lie in uh, how we can really leverage uh, this data to improve healthcare outcomes. So we're going to take a timeout uh, here in a moment. Can you guys hang on for another segment with us, please. That sounds good. All right, Trent. <laughs> we actually cut him off, but Trent, uh, we'll uh, we'll come back and we'll, uh, we'll we'll get a little bit more of your analysis as well. And really, are interested in your thoughts on um, what happened here with the biggest insurer pulling out locally and what you think how that's going to impact us here locally from an economic standpoint. When we come back here on America's Healthcare Challenge, how to leverage data to improve healthcare outcomes. That's what we're going to be looking at and much more. Check out facebook.com slash America's Healthcare Challenge and like our page and you can get put into our, our syndication where you can get all of this content and more. We'll be right back. 